The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. and welcome back to a special episode pick your poison is back our once in a while uh side route off of thunder road here at days of thunder uh, i'm your host as usual dave ryan i'm joined on the line by my co-host lee malone lee how are you i'm not too bad pal how are you yeah i'm all right it's it's it feels like it's it's been a while uh since we've done one of these um even though we kept saying that we were going to do more of them this year i think it was the first week of january the last time we did this so good going on us yeah god it was like four months ago we recorded one of these i think <laughs> it's december sometime yeah yeah that that level of professionalism you've come to know over days of thunder um <laughs> we're really we very... bad at this like <laughs> <laughs> we are absolute amateurs the pair of us but look, we'll, we'll we'll struggle on anyway. And as this is Pick Your Poison, we're joined by a very special guest, the saltiest vet of them all from the British wrestling experience, <laughs> the man himself, Jamesy. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, lads? Ah, not too bad. Very not good. Too... Just trying to just try to keep going, keep saying by pushing out that content. You know how it is. Absolutely. I understand from listening to previous episodes that we're not to mention the C word. Is that right? Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're doing our best to try and, and make yeah. ourselves an oasis, seeing as yes. we're a bit of a time yeah. machine podcast as is anyway. Yeah, no, no. Uh, proper order, I think, as well. It's, I think it's Jesus. It's just nice to have a chance to talk to some actual adult humans, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> how, how have, you, how we, we dance around this task, how, how have you found your new free time? <laughs> it has been good and I have spent quite a lot of it watching some WCW as it would happen um, I've been I, I took a notion I'm looking for a little project at the moment given that we all have a bit of extra time and there isn't any current wrestling to watch and that's the most I would say about the current situation we'll park that now um, and I've started looking back at um, back on the network at, at the Nitros from day one basically because I never really watched 
Nitro. I, certainly at the time, I wasn't watching Nitro. I never watched it chronologically. Like, I've read all the books. I've watched the documentaries. I've watched the WWE stuff on the network. And I know all about it, but I haven't actually ever watched it kind of from start to finish. So what I've decided to do is watch actually Raw and Nitro every night, every week from the moment of the first Nitro. And it's really, really interesting. It's kind of, it's it's one of those things where you can turn off the old analytic part of your brain and you don't have to analyze anything. And it's the good background watching more than anything. You know what I mean? You can kind of watch it and dip in and out of it. And unfortunately, we're at the point of the Dungeon of Doom, which um, isn't the most inspiring viewing, shall we say. But if it's not good, it's at least funny. Yeah, I think that's one of the major appeals WCW has already had, always had for me, <laughs> should I say. Um, but to, to go back uh, on what you were just saying there, because it's something we, we always ask our, our guests on here. So if you weren't really watching WCW chronologically at the time, was it that you were a WWF guy and you were kind of like you weren't going looking at the, the, the arch enemy on the on the other channel? Or what was your kind of were you even aware of WCW at the time? I was vaguely aware, I would say, at best. Like, I, you know, like we're all Irish lads. And, and yeah, as you guys know, WWF very much is, is the, what would have been the dominant promotion at the time. You know what I mean? And that was, that was the one that everybody in school would have been watching. I, I do remember becoming aware of WCW. There was a guy in my class. Um, I would say he was definitely the smart of the class. He was the guy who would, who would, who would get the commercial release videos. Like, I'm talking now around the time of... I God, I was in sixth class. So you're talking around kind of 1990, 91 kind of here. And yeah. he was the guy who would get the commercial release videos of, of the WWF shows and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like we were all maybe the magazine we would get in the news agents would be your WWF magazine, the basic one. And he was coming in with these mag. I don't know what they would have been. Would they have maybe been power slam back in the day? But he'd have these magazines with WCW. And he was claiming to all of us that this WCW was better than WWF. And of course, <laughs> he was he was roundly shouted down by everyone in the class. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. who's, you know, he's telling us this guy Vader is amazing and all this. And we <laughs> This charlatan coming into the clearance. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I did know about it. And, like, it was on ITV, wasn't it? Um, Yeah, it was, but I never, I just, it just was never something I watched or I never just, I never got into it. I had a vague knowledge of it and it wouldn't have been until I started buying, basically until I got my own credit card. I think I was telling the lads this on BWE the last time. Um, until I kind of finished college and I finally got my own credit card and I could go on eBay and buy tapes. And like at this point, this is this is when I finished college, 04. So way, way after the time. And I would have been buying VHS off eBay because they were really cheap because DVDs were all, all of us were a thing by then. You know what I mean? So the tapes, you could get them for half nothing. So I'd be getting a, like a, a great American bash for a euro and that kind of thing and free shipping and that kind of thing. Somebody was just trying to get rid of these tapes basically. So I was watching everything completely out of order, like watching hodgepodge of one show here, one show there. I never really had a chronology of the whole thing in my head. And that's kind of what I'm trying to straighten out now by this current project that I'm doing. Yeah, it's something that like I've always threatened to do is to go back that far because obviously, like as I've kind of talked about on the show before, uh, well, Lee's knowledge is kind of he's he's watched some early '90s stuff. I have no real early '90s WCW knowledge outside of dropping in for a match or a show here or there. Um, most of my uh, photographic memory of WCW stuff is the worst period where the company <laughs> shot the bed and died. <laughs> you <laughs> like, say worst, I say best. Yeah, yeah, I was like watching I'm the company religiously <laughs> from from like the end of '98 to like I think it was like 
towards the end of 2000 when they got kicked off uh, the end of Cartoon Network over here. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I have all that. I have Vampiro and Dale Torborg fighting in a graveyard and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Just God. rattling around up, upstairs in the brain. Um, but uh, yeah, I think an entirely uh, more interesting period. You're you're at least going to get there before it gets good and, and watch it become better rather than us on this program. We're kind of watching the reverse of that where we started this show at the absolute peak of the company and it's just all downhill slowly but surely from here. Um, I suppose that the time has come to, to kind of break the mystery. Uh, Jamesy, do you want to tell us who you picked for your uh, your wrestler uh, to come and pick your poison? Just to remind people of the rules first. Um, so the guest comes on, they, uh, they will pick a wrestler. We tend to to go with one of their undisputed classics and one personal fave uh whatever wrestler is picked they can't be picked again and the only matches uh, that you can't pick are any that happened in wcw between 1998 and 2001 because we'll probably come across it at some stage so jamesy without further ado well with a tear in my eye guys <laughs> the, the man that i went with and he was the minute i saw him on on you guys were very kind to send me a list of, of, of available names shall we say who, who were eligible for this the minute i saw the name rick flair on the list there was only one man i was going to pick absolutely in our current timeline a little bit on the outs legally speaking with eric yes. bischoff yeah but we uh, had to bend the rules slightly to get him in didn't we he's still he's he's not fired he's still technically part of the wcw uh talent pool so we we, we gave jamesy that one and come on like you don't have to sell us on us like would you like to watch six rick flair matches or six i don't know barbarian matches or, or what have you <laughs> um, i will say that because i am the king of the loophole on the show if you want to be technical, <laughs> Flair was all over the uh, door cheats at the time because of his dispute with uh, Eric Bischoff around now. So I suppose technically he's a big part of WCW right now. <laughs> he is, whether, whether Bischoff wants him to be or not, he's a big part yeah. of things. Um, Jamesy, talk to me about your kind of uh, your appreciation of Ric Flair and, and why he was the man for you in this selection. Well, Ric Flair, I suppose, if we're to talk about the greatest wrestler ever, to me, there's three acceptable answers. Um, Brian Danielson, Kenta Kobashi, and Ric Flair. Um, and like, I, I have no quibble or beef with anyone who would name either of those three as, as the greatest wrestler of all time. And like, Flair is, he's everything you could possibly want from a wrestler. You know what I mean? And by every yeah. single criteria you could possibly judge a wrestler, he gets 10 out of 10. You know what I mean? Like he was a huge draw over a long period of time, an incredible promo, whether you want to have a serious promo or a, or a more lighthearted promo. Um, like wrestling by its very nature is over the top and colorful. Um, pageantry, you know what I mean? And I mean, that's yeah. flair all over, you know, the robes, the women, the catchphrases that everyone knows and can quote at will. Um, like whether he was a beloved face or a hated heel, which we will see both examples of both in the matches we've picked. He, he was amazing. He was a world-class in ring. Like he was a world-class mat worker, world-class technician. He was a great brawler. He was a great stooging heel. There are literally wrestling moves that are synonymous with him. Like you go to any independent show, anywhere in the world and when a chop is thrown rick flair there's somebody woos in the audience you know what i mean and that will always be synonymous with him you know what i mean um his execution his longevity like he can he can genuinely claim to have great matches across four decades the list of rivals he has from steamboat to sting terry funk kerry von eric jumbo 
Vader, Dusty. You know, mm. you can keep naming off people and they're all great. Like most wrestlers have one or two great rivals. Ric Flair has 20. You know what I mean? The, the yeah. greatest champion in the history of wrestling. Carried himself like a champion no matter where he was. Yeah. Brought his opponents up with him. Elevated people. He just, Ric Flair is wrestling to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it, The minute you say to me, when I think about wrestling, the first person that would come to mind would be Ric Flair. Yeah, and I I think it's it's funny, and if I turn to Lee for a second to get his his takes on on Ric Flair here, I think it's funny that I remember in the mid two thousands when I was starting to get kind of like online uh, with my wrestling fandom that like there was kind of a popular thing to to shit on Flair and and Brett as well to a certain extent that kind of like people would say even though they had a lot of great matches, um, there were people arguing online that they would largely have the same match with everybody, but particularly on this rewatch, Lee, I I. I didn't find that to be the case. I thought the man was in there in a variety of different matches in these six matches we picked. And I thought every one of them felt differently and watched differently. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Like, I, I never understood that whole we had the routine match. Like, every wrestler has spots that they like to do, that they'll fit in with. Say they're taking on someone that's bigger than They'll always have the same couple of spots. They'll go back to somebody smaller than if they're eating up like a wrestler in a squash match, they're going to have their hit couple of moves that they hit. So that, that argument never kind of held anything with me. But like to go back to that time, like you were saying, when you would have been coming online around 04, 05, whenever it was. Yeah. Um, I remember the first Ric Flair DVD set came out. Yeah. And that was yeah. one of the first really like big collections I remember coming out from WWE at the time after they got the WCW footage. And that was essentially you know, like that opened my eyes to just how great this man is. And I mean, I said that in like our little group chat we had going on during the week, rewatching this, I honestly think I forgot just how great this man was. Yeah, I, I think it, with uh, a lot of us, kind of the recency bias of remembering the kind of tail end of his career and, you know, having a pitch perfect retirement in WWE, but then kind of like uh, his TNA run was what it was. We, we kind of that's the flair we've been more used to more recently and as with the kind of amount of content that comes out and I don't need to tell you Jamesy would you have a doing a podcast right to keep up on current wrestling that like it's exhausting to keep up on current stuff you don't have the time to dive back into this good stuff from the 80s and the 90s all the time absolutely and like the, you know to go back to what you said about the formula like I think you you nailed it totally Lee every wrestler has a formula you think about John Cena you think about Danielson has a certain pattern to his matches you, you, the, the great Japanese wrestlers um, there is nothing wrong with that you know what I mean but it's not like he's married to it you know what I mean yeah. and like as I said, when I was talking about him, like, you know, he, he could be a face, a heel, a brawler, a technician, you know, there's huge variety in his matches, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, so, so that never washed with me, you know what I mean? And yeah, it was really nice to do this because as time goes on, you tend to kind of forget how good somebody was. And it's yeah. also nice to watch somebody like as you get older, I think, and certainly it has happened to me in the last few years, what you like in wrestling changes and what you appreciate mm -hmm. more changes you know and the yeah. more of certain things you see the more i kind of turn against them and like for yeah. me watching these matches like some of these matches i hadn't watched some of these i hadn't seen before that one of lee's ones in particular um but some of these matches i hadn't watched in at least 10 years if not more and like watching yeah. it through 2020 jamesy eyes you know what i mean i'm picking out yeah. things that i can suddenly appreciate an awful lot more than yeah. when i was a younger wrestling fan you know what i mean
And it feels like such a breath of fresh air compared to like what the current uh, popular styles of, of wrestling that we would watch are like, whether it's Japan or on the independent scene or, or, you know, even WWE and things like that. And I think about, I think that changing t- taste thing is, is v- a very accurate observation, James, because I, I think about how like growing up from the time I was six years old, watching wrestling to now my favorite wrestler of all time was Shawn Michaels. But now if I turn on NXT and people are trying to do Shawn Michaels matches, I want to jump out a mm-hmm. window you know it's the furthest thing i would want now whereas i don't think if i was a young child um you know growing up during the attitude era and someone put rick flair matches from the 80s in front of me i don't think i would have appreciated the way i do now or looked for the things i would now with the kind of years of watching stuff behind me that i do um I'm just going to read out the, the list of matches we're going to cover here uh, and then we'll get going um, just for people who might want to kind of pause at this point, watch some of these matches and get back. We're going to watch uh, Crockett Cup 1987, Ric Flair versus Barry Windham. Uh, Wrestle War 89, Ric Flair versus Steamboat. Clash 9, Ric Flair versus Terry Funk, I Quit. Uh, Wrestle War 91, War Games, the Four Horsemen versus Sting, Pillman and the Steiners. Uh, 92, Royal Rumble and... Uh, then Ric Flair and Aaron Anderson versus the Hollywood Blondes from 1993. Um, before we do that, though, I, I think a traditional part of this podcast, go around the table and see what beverage everyone has to accompany them this evening. And I believe, James, you're on the hard stuff tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a non-drinker, when I listened to your to your episodes, I kind of felt I had to at least make some kind of an effort. So mm. I... You know, I, I, I made my, my essential shopping trip um, earlier today, but I managed to sneak in the non-essential item of a four-pack of Peroni Libera beer, which is Peroni Ooh. beer, 0% for Peroni beer. And, like, a lot of non-alcoholic beers are not nice at all. Like, you just yeah. wouldn't be bothered with them. But Peroni beer is actually gorgeous, and it's it's really refreshing, really, really light beer to drink. And, yeah, that's that's what is accompanying me through our journey down. It's not Thunder Road. What is it? Flair... F- our walk down Flair's Isle. Is that what we call it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we call it now, yeah. 100%. Rather than down that aisle. Robe on and everything. You know what? We actually could have done a whole other, like, pick your poison on just our favourite Ric Flair stories. Oh, okay. Um, which, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much of it passed the legal team before you get out. Yeah, true enough. I, I always think of the uh, I always think of the one Triple H told at the Hall of Fame about how he went to meet him to get an autograph at the hotel and like apparently the the, the elevator doors opened and uh, Flair walked out with nothing but a robe on and a balloon attached to Space Mountain and he just strutted across into a ballroom wooed and the doors closed behind him. <laughs> oh God, what an image! I think Triple H said, in that moment, I realised everything I've ever heard about Ric Flair is absolutely true. See, what I want to know here is, did he actually get an autograph? <laughs> I honestly what, think an autograph would be the furthest thing from my mind if that was the scene I happened upon. And what did he use to sign it? <laughs> Good grief. Uh, Lee, what have you got for your beverage this evening? Um, because I did not do a shopping trip yet this week i am just going with what i have in the house at the moment so i've gone with the classic since we're talking about a classic wrestler just a nice point of guinness oh a classic can't be bad yeah, classic. 
Uh, I have gone with a, a brewery that I went with a couple of weeks ago on the show, uh, the White Hag. Uh, I've gone with their Little Fawn Session IPA, which is uh, a very mild and refreshing one because this uh, this little office that I record in is absolutely piping hot tonight. So I need the, the moisture or I'm going to pass out on the air. <laughs> I, I think I should say that uh, the next time we record, I will definitely have something different because uh, earlier today I got peer pressured into <laughs> browsing a craft beer website yeah by mr ryan there <laughs> well we got to keep that content going lee that's the, that's the problem like i've started this gimmick and i didn't really realize it's kind of one of those things where like you start doing death matches and people start expecting the thumbtacks of the staples eventually <laughs> like, if i sh- if i showed up and I stopped doing the can thing people wouldn't know what's going on anymore are you trying to say your bladder is going to end up looking like dusty Rhodes' forehead at the end of all this that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's launch into our, our first match. Uh, and this is my pick. And this is uh, 11th of April, 1987, the Crockett Cup. It's Ric Flair versus Barry Windham. Um, and this is one of those matches that I kind of, when I started getting online and, and people were talking up Ric Flair, this is one of the matches that I remember very early on people going on about and me having to go seek out. Um, and this is what I thought was interesting. This is the third Flair Windham singles match and the second in that calendar year to have gotten the full five stars from one Davy Meltzer. Um, they had gotten one, I think, February of the previous year and then in January of this year. So this is the, the third five star match in a series between Flair and Wyndham, which is just uh, at the time, maybe not so much anymore. At the time, that's an absolutely incredible feat uh, for the same two men. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I'm I just going to throw over to the lads here and see what they thought of this. Uh, we go with you firstly. I have never seen this before. I don't know how I missed this. Um I thought this was phenomenal. I don't know if it'd go full five on it because of the the kind of the dusty finish kind of annoyed me a little bit <laughs> when it came up. But oh, Jesus, these two have phenomenal chemistry. Like just um, Barry, like I think I forgot how big Barry Windham actually is. He looks like an absolute monster. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I couldn't get over that. It'd been like a long while since I'd seen this match, and yeah, just. Um, an absolute just a brick shit house yeah, yeah like, like and that's like, one of the things i i really loved about this is that like when uh because flair obviously in the 80s like he's a he's a he's a big dude like a deceptively big dude but um one of the things i love about the flair window matches is like when Wyndham just starts launching him around the place mm-hmm. just powering him about the ring and rick flair like the consummate ring general having to basically scarper away because he can't match Wyndham's strength i, um, I love that the beginning that they 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 put over Wyndham actually going for the punch like it takes yeah. about five minutes for Wyndham to actually land a big left hand like the referee stops it Wyndham pulls himself off a couple of times yes. and they just yeah. build to it and they build to it and when he lands it my god the crowd got fucking apeshit yeah just such a simple thing to, to build and build to that one thing and yeah the, the crowd and that's one of the things that I read uh, is, is the crowd during this like you just remember um, like it's kind of it's kind of hard to remember now in 2020, but like back back then, like in these in in the NWA or or wherever, um, whether it was your flares or whoever your big stars of the day, like people were living and dying with these guys in every match. Like it was it was just people were at fever pitch. And and James, I think like a lot of the simple stuff in this match worked the best. 
Absolutely, yeah. And like the way I would describe this match is if ever a match summed up Flair's ability to retain his title and beat his opponent, but at the same time making absolutely sure that his opponent loses nothing and is in fact enhanced in defeat, I would say this is the perfect example of it. You know what I mean? Like, um, you t- you know, we talk about Flair being the greatest of all time and it's matches like this, like he would have this type of match seven, eight times a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Traveling from territory to territory, you know, because he's the champion, he, he he feels like it's his duty to raise up his opponent. You know what I mean? And yeah. that alone is a sign of his greatness, because how many, you know, you guys are watching WCW from the late 90s. Yeah. How many charlatans are in that promotion who are only <laughs> yeah. only out for themselves? And don't yeah. care about bringing anybody else up. And ultimately, it's what kills the company. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas well, back in this day, if you don't build up the guy, who did you beat? Exactly, exactly. And even any promo you see, you never hear Flair say anything but this guy is a hell of a wrestler. Or, this guy's a world. He, he, he goes out of his way to say that. And then he cuts the back completely off him. You know what I mean? But he will first of all establish that, yes, you're a great wrestler, but blah, 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 blah. And he <laughs> yeah. cuts his promo. You know what I mean? But yeah, like I would say this is a great example of Flair as a technician. I think this is yeah. a, a technical masterpiece. And I think in particular, a masterclass in ring positioning. Like the oh, amount of times that Flair doesn't, doesn't mm-hmm. kick out out of uh, you know he doesn't kick out when he's pinned he puts his foot on the rope you know what i mean yeah. and like again that's that's enhancing windham you know what i mean he's not able to kick out of his moves but he's just hanging in there like you feel like you know they're they're over and over beating the crowd over the head with 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 the idea that windham could actually beat this guy here and flair is just about getting away by the skin of his teeth yeah and another side of Flair you see here is like Flair, the consummate tactician and, and thinking three moves ahead. There's a moment I absolutely love in this match where Wyndham attempts a drop kick and just falls short of the drop kick. And Flair immediately like he pauses for a beat just so that the crowd can figure out what he's seen. And that's Wyndham is on the floor in the figure four position and immediately goes for it. And the crowd start losing their mind. Mm-hmm. Um and I also love the the kind of it's the classic heel tactic uh, of using the ropes for leverage in the figure four. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and he does it repeatedly until he gets yeah. caught. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, I, gets, I, I have to, the the uh, referee, Tommy Young, is great in the, in the match as well. It's just yeah. like you, you don't notice him until he has to do like the one or two little things, like say stopping the punch, getting involved when, on the rope breaks, um, just stuff like that. Like it's just like. Like you both said, the, the simple stuff in this match just make it that great. Like the little things. Um, oh, what was I going to say? I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> it was something I had to say. There's, but go on. There's, an, there's another small part as well that I love where like... Uh, Flair is kind of like he he's got the upper hand briefly against Wyndham and he's kind of feeling his oats a little and he comes out of the corner and he goes to do the woo and immediately walks into a lariat <laughs> that turns him in. <laughs> Not afraid to show his ass at any point in a match, like, you know what I mean? And make himself look like an idiot, basically, you know? Um, and the crowd, like they're so like they they've so bought into the story of this match that like any time Wyndham gets anything in towards the closing stretch of this match, they are throwing babies in the air. Like that's how excited <laughs> they are. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. they the exchange near falls at the end, and the crowd are just so they believe every single one. They just buy in on every every single two count. And on the the show on his arse as well, Jamesy. There's like the you've got to say like. In making Barry Windham look like a million bucks, like anything that Windham hit him with, he was falling all over the place, like it was, like yeah. he was being shot with a machine gun. 
exactly like that over the top bumping that we that we come to know and love flair you know and it's it's almost tongue in cheek and if if you pushed it a little bit further you you would say it was kind of bordering on the Shawn Michaels ridiculous bumping you know what I mean but he he just straddles that line of over the top and excessive and almost ridiculous perfectly you know what I mean and you just you just come out of it thinking that that this Wyndham is a beast you know what I mean and just on on, on Wyndham there's that delayed vertical soup that he hits and then float over into a pinfall is just gorgeous like like that that guy should have been a 10-time world champion you know you were talking about the size of him like he he was hanging with flair on the mat the power moves he's coming off the top rope at points you know what i mean like just a tremendous like the look of him like a world-class look you know what i mean and you know the the way it was just injuries and a few other things that kind of kind of halted his progress in his career but like in a different lifetime we're talking about barry windham as an all-time great as well you know yeah barry he has to be all of what six 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 seven and he's doing a missile drop oh, kick. Yeah. And like, this yeah. is 1987. No, yeah. the Rock and Roll Express got over by doing missile drop kicks. Mm, like, yeah, yeah. Guys that big aren't supposed to be coming off the top rope in 1987, never mind doing drop kicks. Yeah. Um, and like like James, he said, that float over suplex, he does it twice in the match. Yeah. And both times, it's absolutely perfect. It's just, should have been like so much more. But, like James said, the personal problems and the injuries and stuff did kind of hold him back. And uh, speaking of like coming off the top rope, one of the uh, the flare tropes uh, subverted this where, to my surprise at the time, he hit the crossbody off the top ropes. You kind of, after so many years, you had conditioned to believe that flare is incapable of hitting anything mm-hmm. off the top rope. And uh, him hitting the crossbody, I was nearly out with a chair. He actually did the thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe, maybe before he established it as the thing that didn't work because like yeah. Jesus there was a 20 year run there where he never hit anything off the top rope like, I, was, it was ridiculous. I was just going to say um, I remember when he torn face on Raw and he actually hit the, the cross body or the yeah, double axe handle off the top and like yeah. JR and the King losing their shit because he actually hit it <laughs> but such a clever thing as well like this is obviously like him kind of cutting that out and getting foiled every time he goes up to the top rope was obviously him getting a little bit older and figured out that it was easier to take the being foiled and knocked off the top rope than do the cross body or whatever onto his knees um just just goes to show that like the man was always thinking ahead and thinking how to adapt his game um i love the finish and stretch of this match between the figure four attempts and i think like Again, the figure four is something in his later years because, you know, when he's on Raw every week, you're thinking, ah, like, there's not too many people are actually going to lose to to Ric Flair now. But, like, the proper drama in a lot of these matches built around the figure four spots and the way he would work the leg leading up to it. Like, um, the crowd are just just begging for Barry Windham not to tap out here. What what did you think of this closing stretch, Lee? Oh, I loved it. Um, Like you said, it kind of comes after the... Barry hits the missile drop kick and gets the kind of the tree count, but Flair gets his foot on the rope. Yeah. And then they they like, Barry hits all his big moves. He kind of empties empties the holster on Flair. It's still not enough. And then they just start exchanging near falls, and it's just back and forward, back and forward until eventually Flair cheats. He, I think he pulls the tights on a, on a roll up. Yeah. And it's just it's like James said, it's the absolute perfect way of the guy going into the territory, putting the baby face challenger over and still retaining the title. It's just it's just a great finish for, for the match that it was. 
Yeah, it, it does hit home on everything you said, Jamesy, where it's like it, it just both men come out of this match elevated. Ric Flair is shown to be like not only a guy who was going toast over the most part with this big brick shit house of a man, but also at the end of the day, it proved to be just that bit smarter than everybody else in the game by getting a handful of tights uh, when he wasn't being watched to, to, to win this. Do you have anything else to add on this match before we move on? No, no, I think we've we've pretty much covered as well. As I said, just the epitome of Flair in the eighties. I would say this match. You know what I mean? Like everything that he was great at, um, and his. I just I keep coming back to his selflessness. You know what I mean? And that's the greatness mm-hmm. of Flair. He, you know, he knew he was the champion. He knew he was the top guy. So he had no problem making himself look the weaker guy and making, you know, making it look like, and like, this is, this is against a good wrestler, like a very, very yeah. good wrestler. You know what I mean? Like you can imagine him going into some towns like, and, and, and polishing up the local turd hero, like who was probably <laughs> yeah, never yeah, yeah. make anything, but convincing those locals that their hero was the guest, best guy in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's, that's Ric Flair all over, you know. There's probably adults today in all sorts of kind of uh, that were living in territory areas that are swearing to this day that their local fellow was one of the greats because he went toe to toe with Ric Flair one night and bumbled fuck wherever like. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Uh, sticking with you James our next match is from uh, the 7th of May 1989 this is Wrestle War 89 the Music City Showdown and this was uh, one of the many chapters in the epic feud between Ric Flair and Steamboat and where do you even start talking about these two men and the, the feud and the, how intertwined their their histories are yeah, like, and when you guys were asking me to pick two matches, I, I without hesitation, I, I, I knew it had to be a Flair Steamboat match, and then I felt it had to be the third of their great 1989 trilogy because, like, this this match, like, is you know, we're talking about greatest wrestler of all time. Anyone who says to me Flair Steamboat three from '89 is is the greatest match of all time, you won't get much of an argument from me. You know what I mean? Like, this is stellar pro wrestling you know what i mean it's yeah. it's it's like it's the, the thing that i took for i suppose the new thing i took from it that i maybe hadn't taken from it before is this presentation of this match as as a pure sports event you know yeah. what i mean like you, you know mm-hmm. the way they talk about new japan these days is, is its presentation as pure sports like but mm-hmm. everything around the presentation of this match made it feel to me like it was a big boxing match or a big you know yeah. the, the way you feel about a big ufc match like mm-hmm. um the, the, even jr on commentary like is you know and another thing i took from watching these matches is yes jr in the attitude area was was a, an amazing commentator but jr back in crockett yeah. promotions and back in the nwa was mm-hmm. one hell of a commentator yeah and yeah more than one time he makes the point on commentary that this is the nwa where we wrestle you know what i mean and he's clearly taking yeah. a shot at new york and, and at wwf and like yeah. there's even one point which is nearly ridiculous where he's saying that the pro wrestling in the match is more of a shoot than amateur wrestling and i'm kind of thinking all right a little bit um the judges at ringside as well you know they, oh, even yeah. before we talk about the in-ring of this match like we have to talk about everything that was around it. Um, they had judges for this match um, Pat O'Connor Larry Zabisco and Terry Funk um, and like there's in hindsight there is a, a very good reason why those judges were there which we'll talk about in a little while and we'll lead into our next match but like the fact that they're there gives it a legitimacy and makes it you know like they're getting updates from the judges scorecard all the time you know every 10-15 minutes every 10 minutes yeah they get, they get the call from the judges about what score what they have it at 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Who is it is doing? I I I forgot to write down. Who is it is doing color with Jr. during this one? It's Bob Carvel. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And and he himself is saying that he's mm. keeping a tally. Uh, yeah. as well to try and get a track with what the judges say and yeah. i think even just also Small the pure things. spectacle yeah. the pure spectacle of uh terry funk in a tux alone <laughs> <laughs> the foulest tux you'll ever see <laughs> i tell you what just just to touch on all of what james said the first thing i took away from this match was the presentation of it and um, I, I fully agree with everything he said this felt like a really big time wrestling event like i had everything like you said the judges the entrances were like they were special entrances. I know looking at them in twenty twenty eyes, it's not special. It's you know a, a gang gang of women for flair and you know I, Steve you're, 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 under, you're underselling us, as Jim Ross said, forty ladies lining the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't that didn't include the four or five that came out linked arm in arm with him. And he married at least two of them. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And did God knows what with the other thirty-eight? Yeah. Well, that's one of the things. One of the things I really loved about the entrances and the feel of it is like, my God, you couldn't have had a more stark contrast. Like mm-hmm. Ric yeah. Flair coming yeah. coming out with a small army of women in cocktail dresses, and then you have Steamboat, the consummate family man, coming out with yeah. the wife, the, the child, and inexplicably a horse. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was the theme of of the trilogy like like for for mm-hmm. all those three like because i watched the other two just to get a sense of, of of you know the relevancy of those to this match as well like and and he uh, steamboat has has the wife and child with him for the other ones so yeah. i think they probably felt like they needed to add the horse just to kind of up the ante for the third one <laughs> to make it a little bit more spectacular <laughs> yeah. what's the wrestling entrance equivalent of the kitchen sink ah, yeah. throwing a horse only <laughs> We can dress the kid like Elvis. That's good, but we need yeah. something else. <laughs> we, 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 we got the the horse out the back, and we got Funk in the rent tux. We we've gone big time tonight. And, Did you do uh, one? What was a Funk's horse? It might have been. <laughs> I've actually rode it to the arena that night, <laughs> yeah. all the way in from the double cross ranch. <laughs> what was that message you left for Vince before, saying I'm going home, my horse is sick, and that was his notice. <laughs> My horse is sick. <laughs> I'm so excited for when he shows up again in WCW so that we can add him to the list because, oh my God, uh, a Terry Funk pick your poison oh, would be yeah. phenomenal. Um, but yeah, I, I love the the contrast between the two guys and um, the like the just the general story. Because obviously, as you say, Jamesy, this is chapter three in, in the epic saga of Steamboat and Flair. And, and just this kind of like air of it being a big time fight uh, of being two supreme generational talents that are equal in almost every way. And now at the third chapter of this series, they they seem to know what tricks the other one has at this stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things I love going through this match, watching how they have each other scouted. Yeah, and and the whole story of the trilogy is that there's nothing between these two. That like, uh, Steamboat beat Flair in the first match, and but it's by roll up. You know what I mean? It's it's not definitive that there's nobody being beaten, but their finisher or tapping out or anything like that. And then the the two out of three falls then is the second one, and that's a really disputed finish where where both of them have their shoulders down and they, they win a fall each. And then in the third fall, Flair Steamboat beats Flair, but like both of them have their shoulders down to the. Match. 
mat. So it's it's basically for all intents and purposes a draw. You know what I mean? So yeah. you kind of come to this is the rubber match, and this is I suppose that that's why then they could justify storyline wise. We better put these judges in in case we get another kind of a disputed finish. There must be a winner, kind of. You know what I mean? And it's just upping the importance of it. And it, it, like if we start talking about the match itself, I feel like the presence of the judges plays into the psychology of the match really well because mm. it makes the match really urgent. There's no stalling. Yeah. Like they want to appear to be the, the the aggressor so that they'll get points from the judge. And that's a brilliant yeah. piece of wrestling psychology. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm pretty sure Bob, Bob, Bob Coddle actually says that on commentary. Like yeah. after about 10 yeah. minutes, he's like, yeah. these, these guys are being so aggressive earlier on, early on yeah. compared to the other two matches. Yeah, yeah. they start... They start off at a clip and and a thing I love as well, like, yeah, you're watching this at home or you're watching this in the arena and you're thinking to yourself, like, I need to keep an eye on this. And and if you're if you're at home watching this and you're hearing what the judges, I can imagine conversations happening in the living room, mm, you know, kids yeah. on the floor going, oh, wait, Flair is not ahead after the last 10 minutes, you know, all this sort of stuff like you get at the end of a round in a UFC, as you would kind of reference, Jamesy. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's. It's something that that I have never seen done in a match before. I, I know the judges at ringside was a thing in the ND, NWA for a while, but yeah. it's just it, it adds this whole layer to the match that, that that nobody has ever really explored before. You know, I know yeah. AEW tried to have the judges at ringside for one of their matches, but it, yeah. it never felt like they were making anything of it in the match. You know yeah. what I mean? But and it, it feels seemed, like it, it on, seemed yeah. like they it seemed like they were only doing it to kind of make you think that it was going because it was was the Jericho mm-hmm. Cody match, Lee, was it? Yeah, it was Jericho yeah. Cody match that they had. Because yeah, it had the the only time the judges really came into play was well, one to make you think it was going to a time limit draw, uh, which would go yeah. to the judges' yeah. scorecard, and then the other time was because Malenko was one of the judges and he had a stare <laughs> off with Jericho, and it was the greatest thing yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's of course they listened to this podcast where we talked about that. <laughs> yeah, but you're you're right, Jamesy. Like it's not something that I I think. I think used sparingly, it could be very effective. Like using mm. in your big championship matches adds another dynamic. And especially if it's something that you know it's going to go long and you need a reason for people to go, right, anything could happen at any time. I need to pay attention. Yeah, exactly. But but what it does to the match then is it, in my eyes, it you know, like when you watch 80s wrestling matches, by their very nature, there is a lot of filler. You know what I mean? And it's you, you, when you watch older matches, you kind of have to take your 2020 hat off and you have to put a kind of, I, I'm in my old wrestling mindset now. You know what I mean? And you have to accept that there's filler in matches. And, it, you know, it, that's what drags them down for some people, I think, is these areas of filler where they're maybe doing rest holds or they're kind of lying around at the mat and not doing an awful lot. But mm-hmm. putting this tip on it, and the way that they wrestled with such urgency, there was no filler in this match. Like they do go close to 40 minutes, but like it's all go. It's all there's always something happening. It's really efficient. It's really tightly wrestled. It's really urgently wrestled. It feels like these guys like they winning this match is the most important thing in the world to them. Yeah, and uh, Lee, one of the things that's kind of, we talked about it in the, one of the things that's like so associated with Ric Flair uh, are the chops. And again, one of the things with like the 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 recency bias of remembering the kind of back half of Flair's career better because it happened more recently, you forget the the force and the power that man was putting into chops in his prime, like up there with the best of them. Oh, I mean, this... This guy's like on the level with Roderick Strong for chops. Like it's just yeah. Steamboat and Flair both are lighting each other up at one stage. Just a point where um, Steamboat has Flair by the wrist, and Flair is just peeing off him on him for nearly a minute 
chopping them. And it's just like, my God, the force he is putting into these. And they just, the two of them now sell them. And I'm just wondering, like, how? Because they're, the yeah. adrenaline must be just pumping and they just feel nothing at that stage. Like, there's, there's a line Jim Ross has in here where he says, those chops are as lethal as any singular weapon in the sport. And I couldn't agree more <laughs> with the man. Um <laughs> One of the things I absolutely loved in the kind of uh, mid portion of this match is um, the the arm work Flair is doing on Steamboat, or oh. sorry, Steamboat is doing on Flair mm. to set up the chicken wing, should I say, and just like trying his hardest not to let go of the arm or to always be going to the arm. Uh, and again, it's that kind of wrestling that pays off the closer you're watching. You're you're seeing the 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 game plan, the strategy being employed here by Steamboat uh, to try and, and and set the man up for the finish. Like the, the the steamboat arm drags, the deep Japanese arm drags or deep end arm drags are just legendary at this oh, point. Yeah. But they're just yeah. like fluid, they're just the motion in them. Yeah. And it's just and he constantly like he hangs on, or if he doesn't hang on, he just goes for another one. And yeah. it's just and I looked at I looked a little difference. At one point Flair does a hip toss. Yeah. And compared to Steamboat's arm drags, it just I just love the contrast because Ross actually calls them a hip toss and an arm drag, and it's just a nice little, like if that was WWF Gorilla, it'd just be, you know, call them a takeover or something like that. And yeah. it's just the difference or, between the two. Yeah, or years later, Tony Schiavone be calling it a sidewalk slam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the, thing about the, the thing about that hip toss is, you know, we've had this prolonged period that you guys are talking about where Steamboat is so doggedly holding the arm that when the hip toss happens, it feels like the biggest high spot in the world. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And it's it's a simple move, like a hip toss. It's nothing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Especially these days. But like, it's 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 how Flair, like you were talking about Lee, about the chops, like he's even trying to use the chops to break that hold on his wrist and he can't do yeah. it. So like this tiny little struggle over a simple move and it occupies your interest for about 10 minutes in the match there. And like, that's the kind of stuff, like when I talk about matches that are bloated and excessive nowadays, like some of the New Japan stuff, they'll do 20 minutes of nothing. Whereas these guys are doing very, very simple stuff, but you're riveted to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, the, the, the arm work is very important as well, because in the second match, um, Steamboat wins his fall with the chicken wing. Yeah. And they even reference on commentary that Flair has never tapped out, has never submitted before that happening. So straight away, they're giving you a little call back to the previous match. Like Steamboat has had success with the chicken wing before and he's going back to it again. You know what I mean? And the crowd must be thinking if he gets this chicken wing on, that's the end of the game. You know what I mean? That's game over. Like, and that's just layer. You're talking about your layered psychology and your callbacks. It's really simple, but it's really effective as well. And and when well, that limb work plays into everything else that that continues to happen throughout the match, it feels like it is so much more significant than say kind of in modern wrestling you get like long periods of limb work and then oh we're going to the finish now so I'm immediately going yeah. to stop selling my arm or my leg or whatever. Um, the WWE style is particularly notorious for that kind of stuff. But uh, but Lee, um, something I really loved is after like a long period of the arm being worked is that you can see because he knows the arm is weakened and he's hurt, flare his frustration, whether it was, as James said, using the chops to try and break the, the control of his arm or one of my favorite parts of the match where he's trying to pin uh, steamboat and he's trying to literally force the man's other shoulder down onto the ground and you, like he is just so frustrated that he is just trying to get out of here as 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 soon as he can yeah he's just doing everything he can and it's that it's like james said that struggle between the two of them and it's just it's that little thing it's like 
everything was a struggle for the two of them because the other guy would just not stop and not let the other one get an advantage. Yeah. Like Flair, like on that pin, like Flair is like trying to lock the hands. He has one arm under the neck and he's trying to lock, like do that all kind of wrestling lock. And Steamboat was just fidgeting and moving and just won't keep the shoulder down. And it's just, it's those little details that the ones that aren't great wrestlers don't pick up on. They just see the big things and they don't see all this little stuff that combines to make it all so special. One of the parts of the match I got so excited about and so into was there's there's a moment where the the kind of like the momentum of the match completely changes and it's Steamboat gets up on the top rope and Flair, who at this point is weakened and exhausted, all he can do is fall into the middle rope <laughs> to knock him off and he hurts his leg. And as soon as Flair realizes Steamboat's <laughs> leg is hurt, he goes to fucking down on him. And it's just like, he's just like a dog with a bone. And I was I was in heaven watching this part of the match. It's like a light bulb went off in his head. Yeah. Because he's... he just, it's just that, that target then. It's just the leg, the leg, the leg. Yeah. And it's great stuff. And that's it, like, one of the great things about Flair, the kind of, like, aggressive uh, part of him, uh, Javesy, is that kind of, like, the the blood in the water, I've sensed the weakness, and I'm honing in on it. Oh, like, and you, you guys know me now long enough to know that, like, any bit of limb work in a match, and I'm all in on it, you know what I mean? And, like, you can imagine me sitting watching this match, like, and the minute... Steamboat hits the floor and clutches the leg. I'm literally in my living room punching the air because you you know what's coming. The crowd knows what's coming. Steamboat knows what's coming. You know what I mean? Flair is going to go after that leg, and it's like it's 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 a little mistake that Steamboat makes. And like yeah. you know, again we go back to the sports thing. How many big football matches are, are decided by you know important finals are decided by a little mistake that somebody makes you know what i mean two really yeah. evenly matched teams and that's what happens here like steamboat goes to the top one too many times and in desperation flair flings himself at the ropes and, and knocks him down mistake, I, I think it's even more fortuitous than that because i just think yeah. flair loses his footing like he doesn't fling himself at the ropes yeah. It's so yeah. clever because you can read it either way. You can read it as either he's just stumbled trying to do something else or he's used his last gasp of energy to try something yeah. desperate, you know, and that's part of the genius of it. And one of the things I love, like rather than, uh, and Flair does this several times in the matches we're watching and has done it many times over his career, is like instead of like just doing like moves on the leg then at that point, like he's just ripping and tearing at the leg. Like he's trying to pop the hip or the knee out with the way he's just yanking on the leg. He's just like just vicious, you know. Um, and then like we get in uh, towards the end of this match and we have um, Steamboat rallying and going for a slam. But as he's slamming, the leg buckles and he gets cradled. <laughs> And it's just it, it just the fact that such a kind of like pivotal moment in the match plays directly into the finish so cleverly. And still, again, as we said, it doesn't sell Steamboat short. He's you know that he that he's lost the belt or anything like this. It's gone. He made one mistake and one mistake was enough for Ric Flair. And I, I love that it ties in for longtime fans because it's also a carbon copy of the WrestleMania 3 finish. Yeah. Except this time oh, it's yeah. Steamboat getting yeah. rolled up. Yeah. Um and, and he and he cradles the injured leg as well. Mm-hmm, That's the other yeah. brilliant part as well. He, he he basically cradles the hurt leg and Steamboat is trying to kick out and he can't. You know what I mean? So it's it's there's nothing complicated about this. It's very, very simple stuff, but in the context of this match and in the context of this 
in inverted commas, sporting occasion that we're watching, it's just next level stuff. You know what I mean? There's a simplicity and a purity to it that like this kind of stuff is everything I could possibly want from wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I never saw a top rope move again in my life, if people, <laughs> are doing, if people are doing stuff like this, you know what I mean? And like, there's no melodrama attached to it. There's nothing, there's no excess to it whatsoever. Like it's just a beautifully efficient match that from bell to bell you're riveted to with a completely logical finish. And, and yet again, like you said, Lee, if the idea was that Flair looked out and stumbled into the ropes, mm-hmm. then Steamboat loses nothing in defeat. You know what yeah, I mean? He, yeah. he just lost by 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 the skin of it. Flair. Just beat him by like if it was on points, he beat him by one point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. And I, um, I think this is a great example of how a match with backstory and knowing the history of the competitors and like the rivalry and going right. This is it. This the last time it's going to happen. You have the judges. You have the big time entrances, and then the match almost. And I hate to say it doesn't need to be good because. These two wrestled a phenomenal match, mm. but all of it combines just to be something like special. For sure. And uh, here's the other thing as well. Like, so you have the kind of the, the conclusion here where Steamboat hasn't really lost anything. Flair is your champion again. And immediately, like you look at, it's just, it's just such great, like book that immediately in the afterglow of this match, they're putting the pieces in place for where Flair is going mm-hmm. next. And and Jamesy, what followed this match in some ways was just as fabulous as what happened bell to bell here. I was so glad that we stuck around to watch the, yeah. the aftermath of this. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and brings us beautifully into the next match we can talk about as well. Um, so, yeah, so you, you're getting the post-match interview in the ring with the, it is Jim Ross, isn't it? Jim Ross and it Flair. Is, yeah, it is. And it, it's it's the usual thing, you know, Flair's putting over Steamboat and blah, blah, blah. And Terry Funk appears and kind of it, it's worked so well. Like he kind of appears almost like this apologetic old man almost you know it's what i mean the, it's and the like, doddery terry funk like. yeah yeah he's he's this doddery and he's been sitting beside two two really aged veteran like guys who were wrestling in the 50s you know pat o'connor and zabisco and he's kind of and and Lutez, yes. and he's the Visco God. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about your hero there, guys. Um, <laughs> but, but like, so he's, he's been categorized with those guys. He's past it. He's he's an ex wrestler. He's been off in Hollywood doing movies with Sylvester Stallone and all this. Five years he's been gone. They said five years he's been gone. Yeah, and he's kind of he, he kind of interrupts and he congratulates Flair, and then he kind of sheepishly asks Flair for a match. And Flair kind of says, well, you know, like we have to, the sanctity of the top 10 can't be broken. And, you know, you'll have to kind of wait your turn and all this. And Funk just goes from doddery kind of uncertain Funk to killer Terry Funk in a second. And just launches this attack on him. There's a flash, there's a momentary flash where you think it's about to turn. And they do the bait and switch for a minute because he goes, (laughs) Funk says to him, are you saying I'm not good enough? Oh, and yeah, you think yeah, that's when it's yeah. going to happen. And Flair's like, no, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying, look, you were great. You've been away. You've got to earn it. The top 10 is the top 10. And those are the guys who, who deserve the shot. And Funk kind of backs off for a second. He says, oh, no, I was just kidding. I want to shake your hand. And then the fist comes to the face. <laughs> and he beats the unmerciful shite out of Rick Flair. <laughs> crowd. And you know what? Jim Ross puts over this beating like Ric Flair has. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh my god, does he sell you that Ric Flair is just damaged beyond repair? It's one of the ultimate Jim Ross conniptions on commentary. Like he's absolutely foaming at the mouth, <laughs> absolutely beside himself with rage as to what he's seeing. The uh, the pile driver on the table. Oh yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. So good that the chair to the head while he's underneath the table. God, I'll tell you what, the tables were made of stern stuff in the 80s. They were your Japanese tables. And what does he call him at one stage? A banana nose something. Horse tooth. Horse tooth banana nose jerk. Jerk, yeah. <laughs> Nobody did insults like Terry Funk. I like oh, amazing. Amazing stuff. And yeah, as you said, James, that leads perfectly into the next match, which is Lee's. And this is from Clash 9. It's Ric Flair versus Terry Funk. I quit. And we were treated uh, to some promos throughout the night about how uh, Funk doesn't want that big gold belt. He wants his pride. Pride is the is the talk of the night here, Lee. Yeah, like this was the culmination of the field where it began at uh, WrestleWord. Clash 9 was the culmination in an I quit match and... It had become so deeply personal that it was no longer about the belt. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about anything else. It was pride. These two just wanted to rip the absolute shit out of each other and just prove once and for all who the better man was. And my God, do they ever do that? Yeah. Um, and Funk coming out here with Gary Hart and uh, the start of this match. One thing I I love so much, Jamesy, about Terry Funk is that at the end of the day, like you know, we're here. It's a wrestling ring. It's a rex- wrestle match, technically, I guess. But <laughs> Funk is just a mean old bastard. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like is it a wrestling match? It's 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 <laughs> it, it's a fight, isn't it? Really, yeah, like it's it's, yeah. it's, just, it's a scrap. It's just two. Two guys that hate each other. And like normally the idea of somebody not wanting the world title in this promotion and in this area of era of wrestling and with a wrestler involved like Ric Flair, who always, always talked about the importance of the title belt. You know what I mean? And in a way, that's what makes the greatness of this match is the hatred is such that yeah. like they had a title match previously between wrestle war and this uh, the great american mm-hmm. bash and flair beat him so like they've had the title match so it's kind of that thing where why is funk entitled to another match so if funk has to kind of make it make there be a reason why he gets him again you know what i mean and he comes up with this idea of the i quit match which is genius in itself you know i think i think they'd had the great american bash match then they had the tag match in the cage uh, halloween havoc i want to say yeah yeah and that was involved in Sting and Muto, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. they had this match. And again, like everyone talks about like the, the three match series with Steamboat, which is just phenomenal wrestling. And then Flair just goes from that series right into this series. Yeah. And it's just so different. The, the difference in Flair, he's now this fiery baby face who is just getting battered at every turn yeah. by Terry Funk. And this is this is another thing that like you know, Terry Funk is is a crazy old man, and it, that in itself is scary. But what makes him look even scarier is the way Flair is selling for him. Like if Funk is looking like an absolute killer, beating uh, Flair all over the arena here. Um, but Flair won't quit, and this is a thing that kind of like plays uh, into the match as we go along. And it's just Funk is is throwing the kitchen sink at the man, and is just getting increasingly exasperated that Flair won't give up. It's like he's constantly kind of underrating what he thought Ric Flair's tolerance for pain was. Um, so at a certain point, he just uh, and I love this. He's just 
antagonizing Flair to mm-hmm. the point where Flair just loses it, reaches out and grabs him by the throat for one of the, the biggest reactions of the whole match. I, I love that moment. Oh, yeah. Like it's, and you know, in my head, historically, when I think Ric Flair, I think heel. I think, you know, the, the over-the-top champion, you know, he, he his his woman was better better looking than you, his car was better than yours, he was richer, all the stuff that's, you know, all the, the, the traditional kind of tropes about Flair. But, like, by God, you talk about a baby face in this match, like, and you talk about your Steamboats, your Hogan's, your John Cena's, your Tanahashi's. This is as good a baby face and fiery baby face defiant performance that you'll ever see from a wrestler. Like, he yeah. is phenomenal here and he's so beloved by the crowd you know what i mean and it's it's even the first spot in the match is um flair hits a chop on funk and funk takes a bump completely out of the ring and then goes to the floor and then bumps over the guardrail as well and it's like (laughs) you know what anyone else and it'd be ridiculous yeah, because exactly. it's Terry Funk, it works. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's because it's over-the-top crazy Terry Funk. It's totally, it just establishes Flair as Jesus Flair is pissed tonight. Like, you know what I mean? He, his chop has such a... And, like, his chops in this match, like, oh, how many million... Yeah, how many millions... Yeah. How many millions of chops have we seen Flair throw over the years? I don't think he ever threw them with as much stink oh. and hatred and, and just stiffness. And, and, and I know that was a personal request from Terry Funk. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, here's one for you. I was actually watching this match with Connor. Connor actually sat in and watched this one with me. Oh, great, yeah. And he's just sitting there and he goes, at one stage, Flair chops the fuck out of Funk. And he just goes, Oh, I can feel that one. <laughs> and he's yeah. just like, you kind of, you kind of, you know, when you do something and you kind of move back in amazement, you're coming to like, just like, oh. And he, you, you literally could see his body just kind of move back and kind of stiffen up and go, oh, that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, Flair, Flair's chops are just unbelievable. The, the two chops I love so much are the one James mentioned where he like he chops and he rolls out of the ring and rolls over the guardrail. He sells it so much. <laughs> but there's another one towards the end of the match where Flair chops him so hard it's like he needs to take a breather. So he hits the deck, rolls out of the ring, takes a couple of breaths and then rolls back into the ring. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just like, oh fuck, I've had enough of this. And one of the things I, I love about this match that changes the script and, and kind of uh, it, it's great evidence of that Flair doesn't always have the same match is that normally you have like Flair who's like right he's methodical he's trying to figure out ways how can I get towards the figure four here but after that grab of the throat moment what you're seeing is Flair just I want to beat this man up I have no game plan except violence directed at this man's face Um, whereas Funk then in the back half of this match is going for the neck and Jim Ross putting over big time that you know Flair broke his neck it's it's notoriously weak and yeah. obviously this is building towards the inevitable pile driver where Jim Ross you'd swear Jim Ross watched a man die in that moment when the pile driver happens he pile drives him on the floor and Jim yeah. Ross is just like my god like he he's just short to scream and stop the match like it's just like never have you thought a pile driver would damage someone as much as this did to yeah. Rick Flair having the weakened neck and just I don't think we can say enough just how good Jim Ross was in 1989 for Rick Flair matches because he just he just makes everything feel so important, so dangerous, so like just everything is perfect with him regards uh, the couple of matches we watch. It's prime sportscaster Jim Ross here, Mm -hmm. and I absolutely love it. And um, 
Funk then he goes mad and he's setting up the table upside down <laughs> against the side of the ring. <laughs> and I was just like, oh God, what in the name of God is he gonna do here? Um Rick Rick fights back. This is at this point, like this is just an absolutely wild brawl. He throws Funk over a table and shoves Gary Hart over, who loses his reason at that. Um and it just hits more of those absolutely deafening chops. Um no, Gar- start- Gar- Gary Hart is fucking awful. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen any 1989 WCW, but like he brings nothing to the table. Yeah, I'd, like I would have thought, like of all people to stick him with, like I think Terry Funk doesn't need a, a leg up yeah. in terms of creating a character or a personality or an edge. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I well, think. Go ahead. I, I know the idea was they put uh, Hart with with Muta and then they put him with Funk. And yeah. they had what, what was the name of it? Was it JTEX or something like this corporation? Um, and it was basically like you know this Japanese Texan connection, and it was just it was all very weird. And Gary Hart just like I said, he brought nothing. He wasn't good on promos. He didn't really he didn't really vibe very well with Terry Funk. I don't talk. I didn't think. Uh, one thing that kind of, as you were saying, it's a sight to behold, Jamesy, uh, Ric Flair, the, the valiant, fiery baby face. They get back into the ring after the, these table spots and a few more chops and uh, Funk is on the deck and all Flair does is lift up his leg. He lifts up one of Funk's legs as if he's about to spin in for the figure four. <laughs> and with that one lift of a leg, people are out of their chairs. <laughs> yeah, and that's like... That's how you know you're over. And that's how you know, like, to talk about having an established moveset. You know what I mean? Like, the minute the leg becomes a thing in this match, the crowd is going absolutely insane. And before we kind of talk about the finishing stretch, like, we have to talk about... The, the whole presence of the microphone and the ref with the microphone and the way they would do these I, I quit matches in the 80s because it's it's so visceral because you, you, basically anytime there's a hold on or anytime there's been a big move, the ref sticks the microphone in the wrestler's face. You can hear them out of breath. You can hear their ragged breathing. You can hear their screams when they're in pain. It just adds this visceral quality to the match. Like you feel like, God, this is the most vicious thing. And like when you have guys like Flair and like Funk in particular, you know what I mean? And like the stuff he's saying into the microphone, oh my God. And just, it's just incredible stuff. Like, and it just adds a layer of, I don't know, what's the word for it? Like, it's just visceral quality is the word I use for it, like to the match. Yeah. It just it just adds another layer to it totally. Like I think Funk at one stage just scream and say it, you, you egg sucking dog, say it, scream into the mic over and over. And it's just like, oh, you feel like the match could end at any time because what they're doing to each other, like it's not like, you know, it's not like slapping down a headlock. It's just these two just pounding the absolute shit out of each other and just trying to find ways to make the other guy just go right now. I've had enough. This is it. I can't stand anymore. And like like James said, it's just that visual. The hatred just comes through the screen at you. Yeah. Um, I love that when the, the leg starts to get worked, there, there's a point at which Funk senses that like things are turning south and he literally, he just tries to run away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Flair has absolutely, yeah. he, just, he just pegs after him and just jumps on top of him and brings him back in. Um, and I love as well uh, Funk like clawing tooth and nail to try and get out of figure four attempts towards the end of this match. Um and when when the figure four comes, like I, I'm somebody who, you know, I, I think 
again, it's one of those you take off your 2020 goggles moment because we, we've we seen so many kind of struggle spots and submissions now oh, that it's kind of like, yeah. all right, we'll just get it over with. But this this had some proper drama to it, I thought. Yeah, but, but, but without being silly, you know, like if this mm-hmm. match had been on NXT in the last 12 months, there would have been about four rope breaks and God knows what, like, and he would have put the figure four on with a fucking, I don't know, a crutch or something, you know, it would have taken an almighty thing to beat him, you know what I mean? But this is very much, it's, there's all, there's a certain inevitability to it, like mm-hmm. Funk is, is in the figure four. But he's not particularly trying to get to the ropes. It's almost yeah. like, can he just survive it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, and, and the, go on, yeah. I was going to say, it's because he knows the ropes won't do anything. It's a nice quit match. It's not about rope breaks. It's yeah, not about... yeah, true enough, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like you say, in WWE, if they got to a ropes, you know, the referee would be breaking it. And it's just like, that doesn't make any yeah. sense. Whereas, like, this is just yeah. about two guys trying to make each other yeah. say, I quit. All he's got is an attempt to gut it out. And mm-hmm. again, the microphone comes into play because it's up in Funk's face. Yeah. And he's screaming and saying no. no and then, like, no, never, no. never, never. <laughs> and then, oh, God, my leg is breaking. <laughs> and it goes from never to, oh, like, he's in so much pain. And you're yeah. like, right, it's coming, it's coming. And then eventually it's just, yes, I quit, yes, I quit. And it's just... Uh, you, you yourself watching at home would swear blind. You could hear the individual tendons in his legs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As he's doing it. Drama <laughs> on another level. And the, there's actually a brilliant spot. Just even before the figure four, you know the suplex on the apron? Yes. Uh, that Flair hits on Funk, mm-hmm. but he takes it totally on his legs. The way he lands, he lands his legs on those ring boards, and it's uh, and immediately Flair kind of is 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 ripping and pulling at the leg again, like, and it's just again, who would think of taking a suplex on their legs at that point in a match? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just that's the next level small detail, and that's the fine detail that I crave in wrestling. You know what I mean? And and it's guys, you have to go to this upper tier of. You know, I would say both of these guys are top 10 of all time. That's the tier of wrestler you need to get to before you get that fine detail and the the, the really, really good stuff, you know. Uh, And then, yeah, Funk eventually says, yes, I quit. And yeah, the crowd just go absolutely crazy for this. They're so, so happy. Um, The guys get up at the end. Gary Hart is in and Flair wants the handshake. And Gary Hart is pleading with him not to do it because he had said earlier in the night that like he's representing Texas, the Double Cross Ranch, um, that he can't let them down. Uh, but <laughs> Funk does do the, ha- the the briefest of handshakes, and then Gary Hart goes, just he's he's Gary Hart. He decks Funk. Flair goes wild, firing up at him, and then you get a kind of this is this is classic WCW. This where just people just start hitting the ring then you've got muta yeah. dragon master sting and you've got uh I, what i did enjoy was the tandem figure four and death locks that are happening and then luger yeah. shows up and hits sting with a chair <laughs> of course yeah you've got you gotta have that punctuation what what comes with the handshake from funk and like i was almost emotional when he says it. he with the simple words you're a hell of a man rick flair and it's just yeah. like God, like I'm nearly in tears watching this. Like yeah, a, a, a yeah. maniac like Funk has to admit 
that quick flair who he hates. He hates the man's guts, but he has yeah. to admit that he's a great, like, that's just, yeah. you know, you talk about your melodrama, like that really got me in the feels. Like I was sitting there with my lip yeah. trembling. Like when he says that, it's yeah. just like, God, a, a simple sentence, you know what I mean? But with such loaded, because he's such an established character and because he's, because he's Terry, Terry Funk is saying you're a hell of a man, like no greater yeah. endorsement will you get from Terry Funk than that, you know? Yeah. And, and it also yeah. means that Funk loses nothing by losing the match because yeah. this yeah. guy is just, like he says, one hell of a man. Yeah, yeah. It's, no one, it's kind of a no one was more surprised than me that you beat me, sort of. Like it's kind of mm. fair play to you. You've you've impressed this this tough old Texas boot of a man by, <laughs> by managing, <laughs> a man. <laughs> managing to wear me down. I've I've underestimated you. You can fight with the best of them, sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely love that part. Um Next up, we have uh, my other choice, which is the WrestleWord 91 War Games match, which is one I, I would hear about a lot again during my kind of early periods uh, online. And this is the Four Horsemen against Sting, Pillman and the Steiners. And um, Lee, we'll go to you first on this one. Uh, what did you think of this one? You're the man who uh, is constantly advocating for OTT to do car park war games. <laughs> so, <laughs> the war game correspondent. Yes, exactly. You're, this is your area of expertise, I think. Well, see, it's funny you should say that because a couple of years ago in 2017, when WWE brought back war games, Voices of Wrestling actually did a big series on war games matches, and I actually covered this match. Ah! Wow, so you are the War Games correspondent. <laughs> Literal War Games correspondent. And uh, do you know what? I didn't know it at the time. But yeah. going back to James's point of how your taste change over time, yeah, I had to say, watching this time, I really enjoyed it this time. Um, yeah, like it, it wasn't a match I would have thought of picking because, like I said, I'd seen it before and didn't didn't love it. But my God, this match, um, and it's not. Like Fair comes in early enough, but it starts with Wyndham and Pillman. Yeah. And those two are really the focus of the match. Yeah. And I think as well, like before you even get into to Wyndham and Pillman, something I love here, the cage. It doesn't look pristine and no. sanitized and like a WWE one. This looks like it was out in a shed somewhere, getting the damp into it. It's a bit rusty, it's a bit rickety, and it feels dangerous. It's a war zone. That's what it is. Yeah. It's a war zone. It's two rings, a big fucking cage. And these people are going to hurt each other. Yeah. But uh, no, no, you're dead rightly that the kind of like uh, you start as you mean to go on and a very central part of this match is, is, is Wyndham and Pillman. And God, like we talk about how we're kind of looking back in this series and it is, it is focused on Ric Flair, this show. But uh, between this and a match later on, we also had the, the realisation of Jez right, Pillman was great as well, wasn't he? <laughs> in this match alone, yeah. he is how this man wasn't a world champion is just a mystery to me because I'd, obviously I didn't see it at the time in 2017 when I watched it but watching it to, like a couple of nights ago like mm. he comes in like the whole match is built around him and his yeah. injured shoulder and he just he sells for everyone he fires up when he needs to fire up and you know what getting back to our subject him and Ric Flair have phenomenal chemistry Mm, oh, yeah. I wish they, these two had a series of matches. And, like, such a fighting little baby is that, like, even with the, the injury and everything, like, that the match starts off with, like, being pointed out in commentary that he's defying his captain's orders and going in first. Yeah, he made a break for it, didn't he, almost? It was like, yeah. oh my God, Pillman has, has, has just decided he's going in and that's it. Like, brilliant. 
Yeah, and he's coming in and he's doing these kind of like cage-assisted swinging kicks and stuff like this. And he's just, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, the, the match starts off at this pace, Jamesy, and it's just, it, it's just wild throughout. Something I love about it is that kind of like all these big kind of multi-man chaotic matches should be, it's the confluence of so many different things that were going on at the time. So you have like, yeah. obviously the Sting Flair rivalry. Scott Steiner and Flair had their thing at Clash 8, I think. Um, or whatever, no, not Clash 8. Well, whatever the previous Clash was to this, uh, Wyndham and uh, Arn were kind of like crossing paths a lot in the tag division. Um, yeah, there's just there's, there's so much going on here that weaves into this match. Um, that makes every little dynamic that that you see happening throughout it even more interesting, I think. Yeah, and and you know, it's war games is supposed to be chaotic i think it's yeah. it's not you know and it's it's one of those matches i feel like you could watch this match 10 times and you'd spot something happening in the background that you didn't see the first time or every time you'd watch you'd you'd get something new from it like because you know they don't have enough cameras to pick up the action like you know what i mean it's it's just yeah. a wild wild and chaotic match you know that, that, um, that kind of adds to it doesn't it the fact that the cameras oh, don't yeah. pick up on everything yeah, and that's what it's meant to be. You know what I mean? It's meant to be war. You know what I mean? So it shouldn't be choreographed and all very tidy and neat and tidy and that kind of thing. And like it's just to go back to Pillman for a second, like, but Jesus, like he should have gone from this match straight into a world title program because he was yeah. he was over. He was just again you talk about flair being a baby face against funk like this the crowd loved this guy he was athletic he looked great he he's fiery he's unpredictable he's he's what like he's what dean ambrose should have been for wwe for years you know what i mean this wild man who kind of has he's difficult to control who the, who the crowd loves you know like and like yeah. there's in the first five minutes Wyndham does this blade job like and it's oh. fairly it's fairly gruesome. Like there, very soon there is blood everywhere. And at one point, Pillman bites his head, and when his mouth comes away from his head, there's just blood all over Pillman's mm-hmm. face. And it's it's the most feral and 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 just animalistic image you can ever. You know, I think that probably happens by happenstance that nobody could have planned. But it just makes him look like this crazed wild man. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just just phenomenal stuff. Like like and at one point. Sorry, before you, at that point you look at the cage and there's just this massive patch of blood on the cage. Oh, yeah. You're just like, yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ, what is going on in this match? Like, you know. Oh, no, it's absolutely fabulous. And one thing I do love that kind of like it, it, this kind of like, as you say, kind of wild, uh, aggressive, the biting and stuff like that, like it's just adding to kind of uh, Pillman's kind of repertoire because you have obviously he's flying Brian and what becomes very apparent early on in this match is the cage is very low and this is going to limit his ability to hit his aerial maneuvers he's trying his best at the start with Wyndham to rely on what he knows and he's using like I said the cage to assist some kicks and stuff like that but like he's just like kind of fuck it and just gets aggressive and gets up in his face and yeah um I, 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 tell, I tell you what we talked about in the flare match but Barry Wyndham's bump before flare ever comes into the match um early on gone from one ring to the other where he gets like he almost creams himself getting caught on the ropes Going from yeah. one ring to the other. Like, yeah, it's just like a man that big shouldn't be attempting yeah. bumps like that. Yeah. <laughs> And I love as well, like, so the Flair's team winning the coin toss and, and Flair going, well, look, this is this is an injured man. I'm going in second. I'm going to go and I'm going to take advantage of this. We've got two on one. Let's beat this valiant young man down. Um, Kind of, again, further establishing 
uh, Flair being a dastardly bastard at this stage. Um, and his role throughout this match, I thought, like, there's, there's, there's a lot of kind of, we talk about Pillman maybe stealing the show here, mm-hmm. um, James, but, like, it, we, we shouldn't really discount Flair here because I think he does a fabulous job as well throughout. Oh, yeah, he's he's very much, in the absence of Aaron Anderson, I think he's very much the glue that holds the match together. Like, because when you think about the team he's on, like, he's got Sid, and I love, you guys know I love Sid yeah. in a kind of an ironic manner, but Sid is Sid. You, you need to mind Sid in there, like, and you, you very yeah. much need to make it clear to Sid what he's meant to be doing and keep it very simple for him. So Flair very much has to be kind of the ring general in there and hold the whole thing together. And, like, the, the interactions him and Sting have, like, are just, yeah. you talk about, again, like, chops with stink on them. And I believe this is, like, Flair wouldn't be long for WCW after this. Like, what month, do you guys have the exact date of this match? Uh, this match is uh, the 24th of February 1991 February like within six months he's in WWE or WWF as it would have been at the time like so he's not around much longer and I believe him and Sting never interact again in WCW till he comes back in 94 so like that's that's a long long time to kind of have that rivalry not happening like but by Jesus they they made it count if it was going to be the last time for a few years they really really made it count you know yeah Um, we have a uh, as the entrants start piling in, another great moment of kind of like uh, using Sid effectively is when Sid comes in and just kills everyone, uh, and that's that's what you need. Like, which is Sid, what you want from him, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Sid in short bursts, just just brutalizing people. Um, we should mention that, like, at one say, I think it's Rick Steiner that comes in, and within about a minute of Steiner coming in, Rick Flair is gushing almost as badly as one of them. Yeah. It was like he was, I am not being outdone by this fella. You will not be young man. I'm sure you little bollocks. But yeah, it's another all-time great play job as well. Like. Yeah. He's with the best of them. Um, we There's some great little spots in this match. I don't want to miss all of them. I love the, the quadruple figure fours that happen at what boy yeah. did here. Like, That's- just some of your great multi-man stuff. Uh, there's also a, a point when uh, Sid comes in and he's holding Steiner. And it's like, you know, that kind of multi-man thing. You think Flair's going to chop him. Now, Flair runs up and just kicks him square in the nuts. <laughs> That's right. And it's such a heel thing. And yeah, I just burst out laughing because it's just perfect for like the match that it is. Yeah. You just want to go back and add the football in the groin sound effect. <laughs> like just a bonk. Like, yeah, I think um, it's fair to say. That, I think it's fair to say this match is probably the good and bad of Sid because there's there's oh, that, yes. oh, yeah. but there's also some blatant spot calling between yeah. him and Rick Steiner at one point. I, literally at one point he says something aloud to Rick Steiner, and you just see Rick Steiner nod his head and go, "Yeah," and it's like it's like God, lads, come on, you know. Even though you're in a cage, you can, and there's cameras around, like you need to kind of make it a little bit less obvious than that, you know. And you want to talk about the good and bad of Sid. Um, <laughs> this this finish nearly involved a fatality. Jesus Christ. Did you ever see a shoot power bomb? <laughs> yeah, so this was, it was a shoot ganso bomb. Like, yeah. it was like, yeah, he, exactly. he goes a power to... Bomb 91. Yeah, Sid gets a hold of Pillman in the other ring and he goes to lift him up for the powerbomb. But obviously like, the cage is very low and, and, and Pillman's legs get caught in it about halfway up. And instead of like... We'll let him down gently. We'll try the powerbomb again. Sid's like, fuck it, and just drops him on his head. And like, even though I know when this match was that Pillman survived this, I was still like, 
shrieking at the screen watching it. And then wasn't good enough. He just does the power bomb again. And then Elegante lifts him up because he's half dead. Like yeah. he has to horse him up because Billman is just completely limp. Like he's fucked. Yeah, he just he proper like it was proper overkill on the first yeah. one alone. And then he say hoofs him up, power bomb again to the boy where Elegante comes out, and with as uh, Nick Patrick is with him as yeah. well. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. like they they call the match then and there basically because a man has died. <laughs> <laughs> Just like El, the, El Gigante carries him backstage, like Hulk Hogan and Elias from Saturday Night's main event. <laughs> just just the ling- <laughs> the, the lingering shot of like El Gigante grabbing both his arms and just like slowly dragging him across the ring, motionless. It's like he was one step short of having to get a big like cartoony spatula to pick him up off the ground. Which <laughs> did you like the finish or did you think it was a bit dodgy? Um, because it's submit or surrender and uh, I think the way they tried to frame it, at least on commentary was that El Gigante had surrendered for Pilman. yeah that yeah, he'd basically and, thrown in the towel and I, then the interview I, with the ref was good because the, the ref said it was my call and they mm-hmm. had said in the rules that Tony Schiavone read out at the start that head referee yeah. Nick Patrick has the final say so they, they did kind of cover for it well but like when it happens first you're a bit like ah like this match has been so good and this is this is a little mm-hmm. bit anticlimactic you know what I mean yeah. Do you know what? Funnily enough, I think it would have played less well had he not nearly killed him on the first power bomb attempt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like that's true. Actually. Almost, almost the fact that he did fuck it up. Yeah, the fact the fact that it was fucked, like it makes you think, Jesus, like, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll buy that as a finish. That I, I would die if someone did that to me. See, I think WCW had done such a job establishing Sid's power bomb as a fucking death move, like, yeah. I. I don't think anyone had ever kicked out of it. I don't think, like, I think once they hit the power bomb, that was it. So the fact that he did two of them, mm. they play that as the finish. Yeah, no, fair enough. What, what did you think of this on the whole, Jamesy? Oh, I, I thought it was a great match. Um, I, I would say I wouldn't claim to have seen every single War Games match, but the only one I would put above it is probably the one from the next year, the, the 1992 War Games. Like, mm. this, this was just, it was just a phenomenally... It was war. It, it was exactly what it says on the tin, and it is exactly what war games should be. And it, it yeah. makes the sanitization and and the the bastardization of it that NXT have done in the last few years really, really sad. When you hark back to how brutal this was, like you know, guys just raking each other's heads across the across the wire of the cage, and yeah. probably doing it as a shoot, given the patches of blood <laughs> that are all over the thing, you know. Um, but yeah, a really, really great match, uh, and one I really enjoyed watching back. And a little bit of context is nice when you actually do a bit of reading around it, and you you read the the storylines around it, it kind of helps, I think. Uh, the, the, the one thing that drags it down, I think, is Ric Flair's haircut. <laughs> Spartacus, you mean? The pudding, yeah. bowl, the pudding bowl haircut. Disaster. Um, oh, yeah. Poor it, man. Here's one for you. Like, I, I know we're going to get on to something from his WWF run in a minute, but it's around this time that, that Flair is obviously having the problems with Jim Hurd and... It, I think it's Great American Bash, isn't it? He doesn't show up for it. They want him to drop the belt to Rick Steiner in like three minutes. And I'm just wondering, like James, you said there, like Brian Pillman should have been coming out of this match as the next big babyface star. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think if they had said, right, drop the belt to Pillman, that it would have been totally different? Yeah, well, well I mean, 
yeah. Pillman had been built up so well in this match. Like it, mm-hmm. it felt to me like this match was the Pillman show, and the idea of the whole thing, idea of the finish where he's, you know, it took Sid literally almost killing him for the match to end. Like it felt like the whole thing was designed to get him over. So the natural thing I think would surely have been at least a world title program, you know, um, and like it's just this is what you're up against with WCW for the entire decade of the 90s. You know, there's these really good matches and then there's these baffling decisions that come out of them and you're just kind of, you're just exasperated by the whole thing looking back, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We're heading into our final two matches now and uh, it was referenced by Jamesy when we started the programme, but with a tear in your eye, Jamesy, <laughs> tell us about the, the 1992 Royal Rumble. I don't think is far away from anyone's lips when they talk about quintessential Ric Flair moments. Yeah, like you guys said, pick pick Flair's best match, which I had as the steamboat match, and then pick your favorite match. And like I had an answer back to you guys within thirty seconds, I think, when you told me to do that. <laughs> this this match, like, is this match is special to me on many many levels. Like like number one, nineteen ninety two, when I was a young fella grown up watching wrestling, nineteen ninety two is the year I was. You know, the way there's a year of your childhood, I think everyone has a year that that they were just really, really just completely engrossed in the whole thing. And 92 would be the year for me, like as a kid, I was 11 years of age in 92. And um, I wasn't allowed to watch wrestling for a long time before that. My parents were very, very strict about it and that kind of thing. And it was kind of like, finally, I I got to be 11 and I was allowed to watch wrestling. And myself and my brother would have been allowed to watch superstars on Sky One on a Saturday afternoon. Um, And... Yeah, like I was just immersed in everything at this point in time. You know what I mean? And like 92, when you think back, like there's 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 this Royal Rumble for the title. There's the WrestleMania. There's there's the SummerSlam in England, which is only, you know, that was a big thing because that was the summer that Sky Sports started as well. And that was the summer that the Premier League was kind of coming on, coming on board. Like 92, 93 oh, is the first year of the Premier League. What a time so, to be alive. Exactly. But this, this new this new channel, Sky Sports, was coming on board and they were going to have a, a, a big pay-per-view live on it as well. You know what I mean? So just the buzz uh, uh, around. Uh, I can actually remember that day. I remember yeah. the day of SummerSlam. Like, I'm, I'm a couple of years yeah. younger than you, Jamesy. Yeah. And I can remember the day of SummerSlam and just pestering my dad all day long. Because what had happened was I... I had been allowed, I was going to be allowed to go after A friend of my dad's actually had Sky Sports, which nobody had yes. at the time. Yeah. And it's like, great, you can go over to, you know, some such as house and they're, they're going to let you watch the wrestling. And I was like, brilliant. And I was just all like, can we go? Can we go? Can we go? Just <laughs> desperate because I didn't want to miss the start of it. Uh, so yeah. like, like the, the, this year, like you said, I just remember a lot of stuff from this year as well. Yeah, it, it was that year when everyone in school was bang into it as well. You know, there's a, there's a time where... Mm-hmm everyone in the class is bang into it. And then, you know, like I was 11 at that time. By the time you're 13, 14, the normal people have 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 kind of moved away from wrestling and it's only weirdos like me that was still watching, you know, that kind of way. <laughs> but like, this is the time where everyone in school was talking about it. All your friends on the road when you go outside and play with them were talking about it. We're all buying the wrestling figures. We're all running our own wrestling tournaments on, on the front doorstep with our wrestling rings and everything. And it's just, just very, very special time to me, you know. And then what happened then was, you mentioned it earlier, Lee, the, the Flair Anthology DVD came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think what year that was. I reckon it was maybe kind of 0304 I, I, I was just going to say I think it was late 03 that sounds right yeah because, because I, I was, think it came out just after remember the match you had with Triple H yeah that, it was just that, after yeah. that came out yeah, yeah that's spot on because I, I remember 
as a student, I'm a student at this point, um, living with a big group of us were living uh, on the college campus and that kind of thing. And we had feck all to be doing with our time, you know what I mean? And I, I remember getting this DVD and just the amount of times we just sat, because all the lads in college would have been kind of the same age as me. And the amount of times we watched this match, like, like I'm talking once or twice a week, like we'd sit around watching this match because, you know, you could show people wrestling from a bit later and they wouldn't know who was there. But like the people in this match are everybody's childhood from that mm -hmm. era. Like, and it's such a star studded lineup like that. Literally, even the people who hadn't thought about wrestling for 10 or 15 years, they know who the British Bulldog is. They know Randy Savage. They know Hogan. They know Sid Justice. You know, it's just it's a who's who of wrestling at the time as well. It's the lineup. It's everything. And then you watch it with modern eyes, like, and it's it's in my opinion the best rumble of all time. There's just so much, you know, and we'll probably go into more detail on it, like, but just on, at different points in my life, this match has meant an awful lot to me, and it still does. You know, like if you were to send me off to a desert island and say there's one match you can have on your on your iPad that you can watch over and over, I'm probably going to pick this match. It's not the best match of all time, but it's my favorite match of all time yeah and it's something that the stage is set quite well uh for flair's achievement in this match as well because you have his promo beforehand where he talks about how he drew the number three uh this is in the coliseum uh home video exclusive with yes. lord al hayes yeah, yeah, yeah. god rest him um he goes uh he said doesn't matter that i drew number three it makes no difference i'm the real world's champ coming into this and i'm going to be wwf champ coming out of it and you have i think repeated mentions on commentary uh, throughout this about how nobody who's drawn in the first five has ever won it so it's not going to happen kind no, of thing, you know? never even been in the match at the end of it never would won it ah yeah yeah um and something uh to to get uh to, to get before we get into the kind of mechanics of the match here or there as much a star as flair or anyone else in this match lee is a man who we love so dearly oh. on this program and that man is bobby heenan <laughs> who I think had about five or six coronary episodes over this hour. Uh, one of the great calls of a match of all time. Yeah. This is Bobby at his absolute best. For like 60, 65 minutes, he is just, he's just Bobby Heenan. And, like, and I can't say it any better than that because he's just everything like, He's telling Gorilla to shut up. He's begging Flair to do things. He's like begging other wrestlers. He's crying. He's screaming. He's <laughs> all of it. Like everything. He goes through every emotion possible in this yeah. match. He does every time. Every time somebody is attacking Flair, he's like, oh, I gotta bet the house on Flair, you know? And, and you know what's funny? Like, it, it begins before the match even starts. It begins with when, when DiBiase and Cherry come out. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, Look at it's that pair. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's basically a, a, a spectacular sixty minute nervous breakdown of a performance, isn't it? Like he, he's just all over the place. Like he's just having this nervous breakdown on commentary. And like the, the immortal phrase, like you, you just have to say the words you've got to be fair to flair to a wrestling fan yeah. and they know exactly the match and they know exactly <laughs> the pay per view and exactly the performance you're talking about. Like it's it's this just isn't fair to play, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that's just incredible stuff, like yeah. And something I love about the, you know, you talked about James how it's, 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 it's for you, it's the, the greatest Royal Rumble match of all time. And one of the things I love about it during Flair's Iron Man performance here is that when any like significant figure comes into the clearing, comes into the ring, comes out from the back, they have their moment with Flair where oh, yeah, yeah. 
you kind of you get to see Flair mix it up with a lot of people in here and you know it's kind of putting bait on the hook for potential future matches what would you like to see what would you not like to see it's almost testing the waters and you get an awful lot of kind of mini Flair versus this person matches throughout oh yeah like and it's it's the performance by Flair, like you talk about a guy going 60 minutes in the rumble. And in most times when a guy has done that, there's a lot of lying around involved and there's a lot of kind of just sitting in a corner and not doing an awful lot. He is literally in perpetual and perpetual motion is, is a good phrase to to describe Flair as a wrestler in general. But in this match, he is in perpetual motion. He never stops. As you said, when they have a regular trope in a rumble is kind of one man standing alone in the center of the ring and the next guy coming down. And as you said, like there's there's callbacks to feuds he had before. Like like at one yeah. point he mixes it up with Kerry Von Erich. Mm-hmm. He mixes it up with Greg the Hammer Valentine, someone he had a great feud with like back in the very early 80s. So there's stuff from the past. And then there's this, like they, there's a lot of, I feel like they were testing the water for Hogan a lot because when Hogan yeah. comes in, it's a lot of him and Flair. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they were really watching the crowd reaction, which isn't great for us, to be honest, and probably why they didn't no. go with it at the Royal Rumble. But like, it's it's just a virtuoso performance. Like, it was like he kind of, and I was reading kind of, I read a, the Observer around this time and Meltzer kind of said that the reason they gave him the Iron Man performance was the WWF audience probably didn't know Flair very well. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't have known what what an NWA, you know, NWA people know that Flair can go 60 minutes with his eyes closed. He did it eight, nine times a week for 20 years. You know what I mean? It, it's nothing to him to do it. But they had to establish him as that kind of wrestler to the new audience. You know what I mean? And it's like, to me, like, like I remember being in school, like w- w- when Ric Flair came along and I was kind of baffled by him because he was claiming to be the real world champion. And did I even know at that point that there was such a thing as, as, as a WCW? I don't know if I did. You know what I mean? So that was baffling. They would have the belt that he held kind of pixelated out. And I couldn't understand what this was. You know what I mean? And to me, he was this old guy with gray hair. And I was like, what's the big deal with this old guy with gray hair? And like, as an 11 year old, seeing him win this really important rumble that was for the title and going so long in it it made me understand what he was. You know what I mean? So like, it's a brilliant bit of booking to teach a new audience what this guy is about. Yeah, it's a masterclass of like putting pieces where you want them on the table, testing out a bunch of stuff and underlying it all is an education of who this new big guy is on the scene and why you need to take him seriously. Um, And like you said, there's a lot of the rumble tropes I'm not seeing here coming from Flair, like the spending 20 minutes lying under the ropes near the corner or um we get one major moment of kind of him alone in the ring uh, which i loved because it's he's alone in the ring waiting for the next person to come out and it's piper and this is like a very fired up roddy piper this evening lee yeah the, the piper comes in at number 15 which is like it's almost like, I know in modern times, they really break the rumble down into like different segments. So you have different wrestlers that you know are feud and that they have their little moments. Like this is really the first example of where they have the first half of a rumble and then they have the second half of the rumble. And yeah, Flair it's is, your act break. Yeah, and Flair yeah. is very much part of both, parts, both you know, halves. Yeah. And Piper coming out and like Flair just like, he has literally just fallen on the ground. I think it's Bossman eliminates himself. And then... Yeah. Um, Flair kind of just falls, does the flare flop onto his face, and the, count, and the count and the countdown begins. 
And as he's rising up to his knees, he's kind of looking up and he sees that it's Piper and you just see his face. His face totally changes. It's fear, it's panic. And you just know right from here on, it's on. And it's just, it's just such a great little thing. Like, you know, I, in, mo- I, in, in modern WWE now, like, he would have had backup with him and, yeah. you know, something, something else. But, yeah. you know, just, uh, just so and, Yeah, the, the League of Nations would have come out or something like that. <laughs> um, no, a, a great part of this as well is, like, as Bossman eliminates himself and nearly decapitates himself off the bottom rope going out, Bobby Heenan is just, he's done, he's won it! <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> he's left on his own. Yeah, <laughs> and Pi- Piper would have been the first person that Flair kind of, P- Flair kind of pretty much walked into WWF yeah. and started on Piper one night when Piper was on commentary. On commentary so like yeah. he he's already has the pre-existing issue with him. And Macho Man would have been on commentary as well. Like so that like and Macho Man was was appalled that his comment his co-commentator was being attacked. So like. From he that, was, he that's was the one holding like, Piper back, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. And that's 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 the early seeds planted for WrestleMania the next year. You know what I mean? Like the long term booking in those days in WWF was something else. Like everything was yeah, inter interbetweened. Yeah, like, everything. Everybody yeah. was involved with each other. Yeah, uh, and like there are still moments in the back half of this Rumble where just like again, Bobby Heenan never loses the energy for despair or joy, depending on the moment. I know there's a point where he almost starts bawling, crying when the Undertaker comes in and gets his hands on Flair. <laughs> Ah, this is it. It's all over. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. Right, Thirty seconds where um, after Jake Roberts comes in and he goes to do the DDT on Flair, Piper breaks it up and, and Bobby just like it's not a kilt, it's a skirt. Or it's not a skirt, it's a kilt. It's a kilt. I'm very sorry. I'll, I'll never call it a skirt again. <laughs> and then Piper he slaps Flair or knocks him down or whatever, and then he just screams, "It's a skirt. It was never a kilt." <laughs> There's, there's, also, there's also one of the greatest if not the greatest Royal Rumble elimination of all time where Psycho Sid is in the corner with Sergeant Slaughter and he just whips him towards the far turnbuckle and Slaughter literally just vaults the fucking <laughs> turnbuckle pretty sure he clips the ring post fairly hard on the way down and it's like Jesus like a man the size of Slaughter taking that bump like like we all talk about that famous Takamichinoku um, elimination and you think God he's a small guy flying through the air like Jesus Sergeant Slaughter was a good 280, 300 pounds taking this yeah. massive bump over the ring post. And, it, I and not a great young man. No, exactly. Oh, he's at the end of his career at this point. Like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just unbelievable stuff. Like, yeah. Um, see, this is your, uh, your match here, Jamesy. Talk us through the, the ending of this rumble. Well, the ending of this rumble basically proves what we all know now that Hulk Hogan is an absolute bastard. And, like, <laughs> and a coward. <laughs> Like, oh, complete and utter coward! Like, yeah. So the the final the final three are Sid. Let me get this right in my head now. Sid, Hogan, and Flair. And Sid gets rid of Hogan, puts him out, and Hogan, being the coward that he is, offers Sid his hand in a kind of a. I don't know, would you call it a well done or what? But Sid kind of takes his hand and Hogan starts to pull him out of the ring and Flair being Flair snakes up behind Sid, puts him <laughs> over the rope and wins the thing. And like the, the, the thing that really annoyed me about this rumble was the focus was totally off Flair when he'd won the rumble. You know what I mean? He, he won it and the crowd did pop for it, but like he immediately vacates the ring and kind of scrambles up the aisle. And 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 it's 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 the Hogan-Sid thing that kind of dominates the whole thing. And he doesn't how, get presented. How unlike Hogan. <laughs> I know. How many times has he done this? And Flair doesn't get presented with the belt until it's backstage in the backstage interview with Mean Gene. And it's like, 
the whole shine was taken off it, I think, by that. I, I always resented Hogan for that. Well, one of the many things I resented Hogan for, but like I <laughs> yeah, really yeah. resented that, like that it always had to be about him, you know. God, I'd say maybe himself and Brett might have had an interesting conversation or two about uh, Hulk Hogan, Steve Limelight and big spots uh, from the pair uh, of them. Like, and he did it to Macho Man when Macho Man won the title yeah. at WrestleMania. He was in the he ring pointing at him. Exactly. Ridiculous. So actually. at 3.01. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, just, I, just, just like a, a glorious hour of wrestling. Like, and I watched this for the, the 1,347,000 times the other night. <laughs> and, and I had just as much fun watching it then as I did the first time. You know what I mean? Just, just magic. But, absolute magic. Yeah. I've both myself and Lee, I think, watched it twice in the build-up to doing this yeah. show alone. Like <laughs> I, I, I was making dinner about earlier on this evening, and I was watching it as I was making dinner, and then I came upstairs about an hour and a half before we start recording, and I said, fuck it, I'm watching it again, and I'm taking detailed notes, and I just sat here, and I was just like, so, it's such a perfect hour. Yeah. Like, it really is. Like, I, there really hasn't been a better Royal Rumble. No. No, definitely not. Uh, some are close, but none quite uh, on high, as high a pedestal as a 92 entry. Lee, to take us home, our last match that we're going to talk about, 16th of June, 1993, my birthday. Um, oh. Ric Flair and Aaron Anderson versus the Hollywood Blondes. Uh, give us some context why you picked this match and why you like it. So this match, I was, I was torn on whether to choose this one or the Vader Flair match from Starcade the same year. And I had initially picked Vader and then I said, no, no, I'm going to go back and watch this one because I had watched it a couple of years ago and I thought it was brilliant. And the one thing that put me off was the finish to it all. Mm. But I watched it again and I said, I I can't not choose this. This is basically right after Flair's return from the WWF. He starts doing a segment called Flair for the Gold. And it's himself and Aaron and Fifi who would turn out to be Flair's fourth wife who he's currently mm-hmm. married to, I think. <laughs> um, it's hard to keep track of, I don't know how he does it. Um, <laughs> they basically do segments where Flair is you know, saying, you know, they should be, he wants to get involved in the title scene and blah, blah, blah. But the, the Hollywood Blondes start to come out and call them the Flair for the old and rag on himself and Aaron for being old and past and, you know, the old WCW and that these guys are the future. So basically, Flair and Aaron challenged them to a two out of three falls old style wrestling match. And that's what we end up with here. Yeah. And uh, Jamesy, it's it's safe to say we've we've got quite the transition. Like, again, we've had Flair uh, on this show going back and forth between heel and babyface. But another man we had talked about there a few minutes ago, Brian Pillman going from plucky young to babyface to absolute shit heap of a man here. And uh, I, I tell you what... Um, like I, I would I after this match I just have like I really have an appetite to go watch some Hollywood Blondes <laughs> matches I think. Oh, like you talk about two jumped up little assholes like these <laughs> yeah. guys are absolute warriors, absolute yeah. pops like yeah, but also two serious wrestlers like I mean Steve Austin obviously but but Pillman as well and like the, the thing I want to do now is a Brian Pillman deep dive like I I, I there are big patches of his career. That I'm not aware of, like, and but like he, every time I see this guy, he's going up in my estimation. You know what I mean? Like he is one hell of a performer, and like even look at the look at the match on paper. Like Ric Flair, Aaron Anderson, 
Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. Like, you, you, on paper, you go into this match thinking this has to be good. Like, there's no way this match can let me down because that's some amount of talent. And like you talk about the, the Hollywood Blondes being pups, like there's at one point Pillman mocks Flair strut and mm-hmm. he even kind of, Flair almost breaks. He like, he, yeah. he kind of, he almost smiles back at him. He kind of loses his composure for a minute at the audacity of this young fella. And then... um is it Austin is in the ring with Aaron and he's mocking Austin for having, he's mocking Aaron for having a belly, which Aaron certainly does not have. Like, Jesus, no. if I had, if I had the lack of a belly that Aaron Anderson had in this match, I'd be delighted with myself. But like, he's, he's, he's mimicking. Have, you'd say barrel chested at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But like, he's mimicking having a big round belly and he's waddling around and holding his back as if he's a pensioner. And straight away, it's established. Like, there's these two pups and these two salty veterans, like, and it's the perfect dynamic for a wrestling match, really. Um, had, had either of you two guys seen this match before watching for this? No, no, no this okay. this wasn't this was a new one on me, and I don't know how it slipped through the cracks, but by God, what a match! Yeah, and and I love in particular, I love the second fall of this match. Long stretches where Aaron's leg is gone and Flair is ah. in, selling like an absolute champ for the two young lads. Again, it comes back to something James he said very early on. Flair so kind of selfless in establishing these lads so that they're you know they're a name and that they're somebody to be beaten, you know. Oh yeah, like and and again, it's it's the simple southern style tag. You know what I mean? That there's nothing, you know, there's nothing fancy about it. That there's very few times when everybody. There's a few times when the four of them are in the ring, but it kind of stands out as a thing because it's not the not the way the whole match goes, like a lot of modern tag matches do, and like yeah, again, we're back to the Jamesy special, the injured limb. You know what I mean? And like Iron Anderson would be renowned for the man who went after people's limb and especially would would have nearly wrestled every single match of his career by going after someone's arm but here like he shows that he's perfectly capable of being the guy on the receiving end as well like in this injured limb and like there's two moments in this match you guys have heard me talk about the chop block being the greatest move in the history (laughs) the greatest move in the history of that and people think I'm joking when I say that and I'm 100% sincere when I say that because anytime anyone ever did a chop block in a match it only ever resulted in greatness because it's the the way people sell a chop block like the way Aaron Anderson crumbles to the ground like he's already injured the leg at this point and I think it's Austin in desperation kind of hits a chop block on him and the man just crumbles to the ground sells this leg like no man's business like it's just again it's simple it doesn't sound like much but this is this is the stuff that has me purring in 2020 like you know what i mean i'm at the stage in my wrestling fandom where this this is the stuff i want to see you know what i mean and i'll tell you what how unique I, I, was I it have to see? written in my written in my notes at this point i have a uh, chop block on aaron anderson in brackets jamesy <laughs> <laughs> You know me too well. I'm becoming a cliche at this stage. I'll have to mix it up a bit. I was going to say, how unique is it to see Ric Flair win a fall with a pinfall? Yeah, true enough, actually. He wins yeah. with a flying forearm. He wins yeah. the first fall yeah. with a flying forearm. And that's not something you'd see very often. Um, but no, the knee, like Aaron selling the knee in the second fall, it's just, it's great stuff. Like, it's just, Aaron is like, so, like James said, he's just so renowned for like working over a limb that, like, seeing the match being reversed around so that it's the, the horsemen that are struggling. And it just really puts over how hot Pillman and Austin were at this time. Yeah. 
Oh, I mean, he, they they made them look like a million dollars. Uh, like Jay, like Jason was saying at the start, like there's the one element of their characters where they're the young pups and they're kind of like aggravating the, the grizzled old vets here. But then, like at the end of the day, when it comes down to a bell to bell, the two of them are phenomenal wrestlers. Uh, something oh, yeah. that has been established over this run, and and something that that Flair and Anderson, I think, helped them here get to that next level where it's not everybody is going toe to toe with Ric Flair and Aaron Anderson and getting the better of them for large portions of this match. And that tell you how about those we want Flair chance? Like he's just oh. on the edge. The fans yeah. are screaming for him. Yeah, there's like yeah. it's something you you don't think about Flair as being a great tag wrestler. You know what I mean? He he spent so much of his career being a, an unbelievable singles wrestler, but like Jesus, there's a hot tag he hits in this, as you said, Lee. Oh. The crowd, the crowd wants mm-hmm. him. You want him to get the tag, and when he makes that hot tag, like you talk about the, the the veritable house on fire, like Jesus Christ, it's it's just you're just on your feet almost, like cheering this guy on. You know what I mean? And the fact that he has to wrestle the boat on his own for a prolonged period, the valiant baby face and that kind of thing, and it, it's just something else. You know what I mean? And it's it's just it's so so unfortunate that the finish was what it was. Like, like I, I have a legit, I was so angry. Like this match was, you could picture me sitting in my sitting room. Like we've got a really good Southern tag. We've got limb work. We've had two, we've had two chop blocks. You know, we have a lovely face heel divide. It's coming to the boil beautifully. Like, you know what I mean? We're in the second fall. It, everything is perfect. The scene is set for like this, this all time great five star tag match. And then they do a fuck finish, and it's just I'm, I've never been so angry about a finish of a match in all my and, and maybe that's the point. You know what I mean? Back in the eighties, yeah. the whole point was you should be angry about that. But like, yeah. I just they, I they really got you want, like yeah. But I really want to see the second half of that match because like you know those four are so good that it could only have gotten better and better. You know what I mean? It's just so unfortunate. Like that, that um, match could have went another twenty minutes, and you wouldn't have been bored. Yeah. Right? Like oh no, yeah, totally. Uh, walk yeah. us through what happened at the end early. Um, so Aaron's been getting worked over for the majority of the second fall. Rick comes in, gets the hot tag. He takes out both of the uh, Hollywood Blondes, and he, I think, he blocks in the figure four on Austin. I want to say, and Barry Windham runs in. Another appearance for El uh, Barry, and he because I think they had I don't know why they were in a field at the time but um, I think Wyndham had been the one that kind of put the Hollywood Blondes together and that's how it all intertwined together and um, then that leads to Paul Roma coming out you know the greatest horseman of all time <laughs> <laughs> such disrespect to Mongo <laughs> I tell you what it's a close call between both of them they're your two worst anyway but yeah no yeah. like instead of being like a DQ for you know to win the fall they just DQ the whole match yeah it's exactly. so annoying yeah they it's could have really just done annoying. the fall yeah 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 that's what I thought too. They sold me on that where I thought alright okay so this is the, the, this is the end of the second fall and then when it is the end of the match what yeah. oh like it was proper, just hitting. Like I, I, I can't come up with a better analogy than than you, Jay Z. Like it was just coming to the boil perfectly, uh, really settling in for a hot closing stretch, and they just pulled the rug out from under you at the last second. And it's just, as you say, maybe that's what was supposed to happen. We were supposed to be annoyed that we didn't get what we wanted, um, but like my kingdom for that to go another ten, oh, yeah. fifteen minutes. You know? It makes you. It makes you wish we got more of Flair and Anderson as a team. 
Oh yeah, God, yeah. Like I would say, probably yeah. Arn is, is maybe the greatest tag wrestler of all time. Like anybody he teamed with, it was just phenomenal. You know what I mean? And he just had it down perfectly. You know what I mean? They had a formula, they had a way of wrestling, and it's just. I, I suppose the point about the finish is it, it was a clash of the it's clash of the champions twenty three, and and they're not pay per views like they're they're TV specials. With a, with a view to building the next pay-per-view rather than the big match in their own right. So I suppose they could yeah. justify it by saying, look, this match isn't where the money is. This match is to get a flair against Wyndham again. And that's where the money is on the next pay-per-view, you know. But it's just very unfortunate. Like, And as I said, it was just it was just coming to a beautiful climax. And then they did, the, you know, could they not have done the Wyndham thing after the match, you know what I mean? And, and just given us the match. But that's WCW. As Chris Zellner says, WCW, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True it was actually that podcast words. that put me onto this match, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. True words never spoken. Well, I guess on on that note, we'll we, we'll see things off for pick your poison, uh, Rick Flair. First of all, I want to thank Jamesy so much for coming on. We love talking about the wrestling, even when there isn't microphone in front of us. But like this has me all <laughs> fired up now to watch some more Rick Flair matches. Uh, it's been an absolute absolute pleasure, pal. Uh, do you want to hit your plugs before we wrap up here? Oh yeah, well, just to say first, guys, like I've had the absolute best crack talking about these matches with you. Like, I mean, this this has put me in a great mood for the week ahead. Like, just just brilliant. Like, and I think we've come up with a very good podcast out of it. Um, my plugs: um, the British Wrestling Experience is is my main port of call. Um, every fortnight on the Post Wrestling Network, myself, Martin, and Benno kind of uh, at this point bemoan the dying European wrestling scene more than more than laud how great it is. But yeah, um, that's us. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamesy underscore 2015 and that's about it at the moment yeah all right well th- thanks a million again jamesy uh at wcw thunderpod is the twitter to keep up with when these shows are posting we're still doing our weekly shows uh during april uh absolute workhorses that we are over here at days of thunder <laughs> you asked for it you'll feckin' regret it by the start of may i'll tell you that much um are we <laughs> individually i'm I'm at the day to Dave. Lee is at Malone underscore seven one three. We'll be back next week with a, another episode of Days of Thunder. Uh, until then, keep safe, and we'll talk to you all again soon. The great wrestling promoter called me on the phone and said, Nate, said Slick Rick, champ, I'm going to make the price right. Brother, your credentials are unlimited, but you got to take a long look at yourself before you walk that aisle, because this right now is the toughest piece of work in wrestling today. Not Ricky Martell, not the Road Warriors, not the Freebirds, not the Road Warriors, but Rick Flair, woo! The living legend, the world champion. I can't help that I'm custom made. I can't help, but I'll tell you this. I can't help that I look good, feel good. Can't dance all night long. I can't help that I'm custom made. I can't help, but I'll tell you this. I can't help that I'm the greatest wrestler alive today. That's the world Take a room is gonna be on fire. Woo! It's gonna be on fire. Do you know what I'm talking about? Woo! I guess all up!
jump on Face Mountain. Go! I'm gonna be a man.